We on? All right, all right. Good morning, everybody. How you feeling? Good, good. Good to see everybody. You uh, trekked through the snow. <clears throat> and so, good morning. Salute to you. Um, as Denise said, last week we kicked off a new sermon series. Um, and I, I'm grateful for it. If you haven't got a chance to check it out, check it out. Um, it's very foundational to everything that we're doing um, <clears throat> and the rest, of, the rest of the sermon series. And, and I'm making this case that there is a relationship. There is often an unseen connection between worship and justice that um, has extreme implications on our life and the authenticity of our faith. All right. And so this connection between worship and justice has many layers to it. But in particular, I'm going to be talking about four things in this series. What it looks like corporately, what it looks like personally, what it looks like in our offering and our giving, and then what it looks like in our relationships. And today we're going to be talking about the corporate aspect, community. And so <clears throat> let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord for your grace and your mercy today. Thank you that you brought us here safely. Thank you for all those watching at home. Lord, we pray that you meet us today and that you speak and that our hearts can be moved and that we see you more clearly. We see ourselves more clearly. We see our neighbors more clearly. We thank you and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. Our main text today comes from Amos 5 and 24. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a nail. <clears throat> Sorry, let me get this water right here. I don't know why this happens to me. <clears throat> All right, that's better. Uh, let me say that again. Amos 5.24, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. All right. You know, life is very fascinating. Uh, speaking about unseen connections, we bump into them all the time, unawared. Um, sometimes you can be in a space, a building of extreme significance, to the community or to the world, and you cannot even know it. I used to work at the Flushing Y, and I used to go to the bodega, and, and right across the street was uh, Amy Macedonian Church. I found out years later that used to be a freedom spot, a freedom rider spot, as when, when um, young college activists that were fighting for liberty in the civil rights movement used to go down south, and this was one of the spots that they had. I never knew that. Right. There's there's places with an unseen connection. Right. There are words that we say that roll off our tongue that have a trail to a great moment in history. There are people we bump into that may be connected to, to our well-being and we don't even know it. I just want to share with you quickly an unseen connection that I discovered for me last year with my mentor. And. Um, he is a walking, living hero. And this is him. His name is uh, Willie Hank Henry. And he was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. 
and he's doing a lot of great work. He's a change agent. But he told me this story one day when he was a little boy in the year of 1968, on April 3rd, he went to church. And the church was a place called Mason Temple, Kojic, Church of God in Christ. That's actually a denomination that, I, that I'm raised in, so shout outs to Kojic. And, um, and this service was like no other service that he went to. It was packed. And there was a lot of people. All the seats were filled. There were people in the side standing up. The balcony was, was crowded. And so him as a boy, him and his friends, they went up to the balcony. And as all boys do, they're playing around. They're jostling with each other. And then they stopped playing. Because one speaker took the mic. And he said, this speaker, this speaker commanded the room. And... All of the crowd from the floor to the balcony was hanging on every word that he was saying. And he said, you can hear a pin drop in the room. You might know this speaker. I want to take us there for a second and listen. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country. Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over that. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly somewhere I read, of the freedom of speech, somewhere I read, of the freedom of press, somewhere I read, that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. And so just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. to live a long life, longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. 
This was the speech. Yeah. Thank you. Powerful. And young Mr. Hank, who was a boy, was sitting in the balcony during this speech by a, a, a modern prophet of our time. And you can see, this is one of his most well-known speeches called The Mountaintop. And you can see the courage. You can, you can hear the courage. There's a video where you can see his eyes um, watering. And um, he was speaking out in such a courageous time in times of hostility and an opposition. And he says, you know, I may not make it with you, um, but I see the promised land for us to go to. And little Mr. Hank, I always got to call him Mr. He didn't know that that speech would be Martin Luther King's last speech. The very next day, Martin Luther King was assassinated on the balcony of his hotel. <clears throat> and I can only imagine how Mr. Hank felt at that time. And as he's telling me the story and he's reminiscing, he has a, a heart to protect the authenticity and the legacy of this man that he watched <clears throat> growing up. And <clears throat> one thing that I've noticed, MLK, he can be whitewashed, right? People cannot see him for who he is and what he was saying. I've actually heard racist people use his words as justification for discrimination. And that Martin Luther King wasn't just singing Kumbaya, let's come together. He was saying that, but he also was preaching economic justice, that the poor cannot be trampled on, that we have to change something. And lastly, what Mr. Hank wanted to defend about Mr. Martin Luther King, I feel you. <laughs> He's with me. He's rocking with me. Or she is rocking with me. Um, they said he wants to defend that, his faith, that he, in the secular world, many people use Martin Luther King, and they use his name, but, and they say doctor, but he was first a reverend. He was a man of faith, and he was influenced strongly by God's word and also God's people. And I want to show you just a second. I'm going to do another 30-second clip just to get a hint of one of his influences. Here we go. It's the same sermon. Have a kind of fire shut up in his bones. And whenever injustice is around, he must tell it. Somehow the preacher must be an Amos. He said, when God speaks, who can but prophesy? Again with Amos, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Somehow the preacher must say with Jesus, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And he's anointed me to deal with the problems of the poor. And I want to commend. Did you hear that? He said Amos. And he said Amos 524. He quoted that so often that if people were not aware of scripture, they might have attributed it to Martin Luther King. But Martin Luther King got it from Amos. And we learn a lot of his strength and courage, a man that was 
leading one of the only revolutions in America that was nonviolent, all revolutions before were violent, that we see where he draws his strength and courage from, this man named Amos, and he quoted him often. He quoted him on the March on Washington. He even quoted him and talked about him in his dissertation while he was working, on his, uh, working at seminary on his PhD. And there was something that, that he was inspired by Amos, our main character today that we're going to look at, that wrote this text. And I think we can learn something from Amos that inspired Dr. Martin Luther King. So how do we get to Amos 5.24? Let's look at the full text. Look at the full text in context. Starts at 21. It says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will not, I, have, I will have no regard of them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Powerful words. And you know me, I like to do a background check of the text. Just, let's just run it through so we can understand and bring it to life. Who was talking? Well, we already know it's Amos. Who is he? His name means burden bearer. Another prophet. Last week we talked about a prophet, hoping you kind of catch the pattern here. And remember the role of the prophet is to uphold the covenant of God and oppose injustice. And you always see a prophet connected to a king. You see, uh, you see Saul or Samuel, right? King David, Nathan, right? Each, they, they held kings accountable. But this prophet was not your typical prophet, though. He was actually a shepherd and a fig tree dresser. He was minding his own business. And then one day... God told him, I want you to go to the north. Even when he was opposed one time, they said, hey, you, 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 you need to take your prophecy somewhere else. And he's like, I'm not even, I'm not even, I wasn't even a prophet. You see, because prophets, usually there was a lineage. You can be a son of a prophet. He wasn't a son of a prophet. He didn't go to a prophet school. He didn't have all the education and prestige that came with prophets. He was just minding his business, tending to sheep heard the voice of God about the northern kingdom of Israel, and he went. So he went from tending to sheep to tending to a nation. Sidebar, you don't have to be fully qualified in the world's experience and law and qualifications to speak out against injustice. We learned that from Amos in his mild beginnings from a small town of Tekoa to speak to a king we don't have to be experts and, and lawyers to speak out against what's not right. We learn that from Amos. So what's the scene? What's happening? What's going on? Well, the text is a lament text. But in the culture, it's a party going on. What's happening? They are in a golden era of economic prosperity. It's a lot of parties. A lot of money being made, a lot of accumulation of land and property and stuff like that. 
And it rivals, they say, the golden age of King David and King Solomon. But th that, that economic prosperity came for a couple of reasons, and it made it a little bit different than the prosperity of King David and King Solomon. One, the king, Ben-Hanadad, he was from Assyria. Assyria was the big bad empire. They had been defeated, and so their grip on that nation was loosened at the time. And so they were able kind of to do their own thing, open up the trade, open up commerce, right? They were liberated to make their own wealth. Sort of think about um, America being liberated from Britain, right? Not being taxed. They were able to kind of do their own thing. But the second part is they profited off of corruption and injustice, See, all the wealth didn't come from their hard work. It didn't come from their intellect and organizational planning. It didn't come from their family values. It came from them standing on the backs of people. Amos 2, 6 8 gives us kind of an idea of what's going on because they sell righteous for silver. The righteous, that's people. And the needy for a pair of sandals, they who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and push the afflicted out of the way. Father and son go in the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink wine bought with fines they imposed. This is what was going on. And the people weren't just rebellious. But the leaders were in line and the leaders sanctioned. The leaders sanctioned this. And it was made legal that people be sold to slavery or homes be caught through things like bribery. See, Israel and the people, when we see in the Bible, they usually always follow. If it's good leadership, they're keeping the covenant. If it's bad leadership, they're tripping, right, doing their own thing. And we can see similarities between the prosperity of Israel and America, and we can see why Martin identified with Amos on another level. And so we're going to unpack the text a little bit. But before we do that, I just need us to take a second and try to, try to take our Americanized glasses off. Because on those glasses, there's a speck of hyper-individualization where it's like all about me. And this, this can blur our vision of seeing what's going on in the magnitude of the situation. And I'm guilty of this at times, right? We can be so focused on the individual that we miss the community that makes the individual. We can be so focused on the individual action and not see the actions of many individuals and so this is important in understanding the significance of the framework of how Amos is writing to the people and how the people are receiving it. And so what, he's, what does he say? Let's unpack the text. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Whoa, <laughs> he's not being indirect here. Out the gate, we see God's feelings. We don't have to wonder about how Yahweh is feeling. We get the sense, though, that Israel is having the party. Assemblies, 
festivals. And they're trying to invite God into that. And God is like, I'm, a, I'm good. Nah. He declined that invitation. And so let's look at God's character, though. I just want to take a step back, look at God's character. Because God is coming on strong here. But I want to remind us of God's character in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. This, is, this, is, uh, this, is, this paints the picture of who God is. It says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping the steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is God. That slow to anger, overabounding in love and mercy. This is Old Testament. You ever knew somebody that was just like laid back, very chill, always calm? And then one other day, random moment, you see them like completely different, angry, <laughs> expressive. What, do you, what goes through your mind? Usually something bad happened <laughs> that took them out of this space to, to make them react in a way they usually don't. And so that's sort of like God. God is chilling. God is slow to anger. God is gracious. And yet, he has to step out and oppose what's going on. And so, what's happening? What's, what, what's, what's going on with these festivals? Well, one, they were influenced by the Canaanite religion. And that was completely debased. Where there was things like ritual prostitution unto gods going on. There was actually human and child sacrifice. There was drunkenness. There was violence, debauchery. It was chaos. These times that they set aside to do anything that their hearts so desired. And guess who was getting the brunt in of that? The poor and the marginalized. And then they had the nerve and the audacity to invite God into that. To continue their worship. Continue the routine but my question is, how did Israel go this far off? Like, this is epic scale. We're talking about corporate, remember, community. Did everyone agree with what was going on? I mean, you can't get three people to agree on something. So how is it like we're getting to this space where everybody is just wilding out? <laughs> you know, I think about a couple of things. Of course, we know the influence of other nations, lust for power, rebelliousness. These things are in us. But I want to point out two things that I just think are true to this. One, that there is a false security in numbers, in majority, right? And that when you put people together, sometimes this group thing happens in groupthink, people get really dumb. The studies show that. But we tend to feel safer when a lot of people are doing something. And something tends to feel right and correct when hundreds of people say this. And we just go along with it. I think about, like, you guys know me. I'm pretty laid back, right? But, like, Halloween, 
when I was 16 years old. I've always been laid back. I've always been quite, you know, that's just always been me. And um, but Halloween, 16, 15 years old, getting with my friends, there was just something in the time that I was just doing things out of character. I was going with my friends in the night and egging houses and running away and laughing as people came out angry. One guy with a shotgun. That was stupid, right? But it was just something like, this is okay. We're all here. We're doing this. And I just felt a comfort in that to do something outside of my normal self and denying myself. And that's what Groupthink does sometimes. Groupthink doesn't listen to information. They're built on biases. There's a psychologist that says, you know, it's demonstrated that people frequently adopt the view of the majority if, even when it's obviously wrong. They deny their own senses. There's something that happens when we get among a group and we can become a little bit more silent than we, or become a little bit more aggressive than we usually, and it's something that we have to monitor because so many tragic injustices happen because of this group think, this mob mentality. Things that don't even make sense. When we look back in history, like, how did that happen? How did slavery happen? How did the Holocaust happen? How does war on drugs happen? Mass incarceration happen? I mean, how did January 6th happen? <laughs> like, there is this thing that happens, and it's very important that we get this and we understand this because I want you to understand injustice preys on the marginalized, on the minorities, on the few, on that little boy or little girl in class that's maybe different than others, where kids feel like they can just gang up on them. This is where injustice preys at. And if we follow the consensus and the majority, we start participating in this. So I love what Martin Luther King says. He says a genuine leader is not a searcher for consensus, but a molder of consensus. God is our standard and by which we understand and how we should move in truth. And we cannot be afraid to stand alone at work, in school, wherever you're at. Because when you stand alone, know that God is with you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Let's go to the text. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. We see God again. This is a pattern. We saw it last week. We're seeing it this week. That God is not cool. He's not accepting these forms of worship which if you heard last week, these forms of worship are really just power plays on God, bribes on God to, for his blessing, for their conscience. But they're not doing it for God, and God knows that. I can't relate to the sacrifices. We don't, we don't do that anymore. This is the New Testament. But I can relate to the singing. Father says, I'm not hearing the singing. Even the greatest singer can sound like nails on a chalkboard. Because it's not from the heart. It's just performance. 
Hosea 6 and 6 tells us what God desires. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Matthew 15 and 8, we see Jesus gives us a summary. He says, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me and in vain they worship me. Teaching us doctrine, the commandments of men. What does this look like? This looks like a man bringing his partner flowers while he's cheating on her. This looks like a person giving you praise and compliments and then talk about you to everybody else. Right? The flowers are supposed to be a symbol of affection, intimacy. The praise is supposed to be a symbol of loyalty. But the action shows something different is going on here. And if you don't know it, you might just accept it. And so songs don't matter when we cause others to weep. Sacrifice doesn't matter when we oppress our neighbors. And this is important for us to stand. And this, again, is happening corporately, sanctioned by the leaders. I just really want us to get this because this was so important to me. And this liberated me and given what, what I grew up with. And just what I felt like was a general thing in our culture. You see, the enemy is a critic of God, and he's a biased critic, and he wants to paint a negative picture of who God is and his character that I showed you about in Exodus 34, that he is slow to anger, that he is gracious. You know, the enemy is always trying to edit his goodness out, the memories out, and let you see something that God is really not. That this God is vengeful that he's bloodthirsty, that he's even stoic and just cares about fairness. And so when I grew up I, and, I, and I saw many preachers preaching about this text, and they were just saying, they would just show you two things, basically. God's judgment and that the people aren't living right. And that's what they would say. They didn't necessarily show the corporate injustice that was going on. All the sins would just be bottled up. People weren't living right. Got to live holy. Avoid God's wrath. And those are the two categories. So me taking this in, well, I don't want God's wrath. <laughs> and so I'm thinking God's wrath is coming for me when I miss my prayer time. I'm thinking God's wrath is coming for me when I maybe overreact to somebody in traffic or, or if I slip up and, and lie or if I do something just morally wrong in striving to please God. I'm thinking God's, and so I used to repent every night, hoping not to go to hell because I equated what I was doing compared to what they were telling me is this is what can happen because God is so holy, he will strike you down. I didn't get enough of the grace, enough of he is faithful and he pursues you and he's slow to anger. These were the categories that I had. And it was a dreadful and burdening thing. And some of my friends, they just walked away from the faith because that's how they saw God. But when we see 
how God is actually responding and what's actually going on, again, you see God as not just this strict teacher that's looking to whip you, but you really see God as the defender of the people that nobody else is paying attention to. Everybody's bullying on that one kid in the class and somebody stands up for that kid. That's God. God is seeing not just individuals, but whole communities losing their property, being thrown into slavery, being thrown into poverty. And so I never really saw how appropriate God's response was because I didn't see the injustice. I just saw it all bottled together into sin and was just oversimplified. And quite honestly, it's in the theology too because many theologians can miss this and a lot of our seminarians, they're white men. And there's shame and then there's guilt in this country. And there's this taking it out of context or not dealing with the issues to see how God is actually responding. And that God is for the people. And God always responds just and always loves everybody more than what we could imagine. This is God. This is his character. And we would see it. When we are the ones being stepped on, when we are the ones being stripped of our livelihood, we see God as a savior. But you see, group injustice is, is greater than the individual. And what do we do with all of this? What do we do with this nation that's wilding out and its leaders have been sanctioned? What is the solution? What is, what is God saying to us? Well, we start verse 24, the but is the contrast where now we're about to take everything back. It says, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. You see this river? That's a powerful river. It's a torrent. It's a, the, the Bible gives us beautiful imagery of this powerful river. That is an unstoppable force that's changing everything, that's washing and cleansing and moving. Justice and righteousness work together. When you look at the Bible, a lot of times those two are paired. Justice, a repair. I said last week it's an insurance on the second commandment to love your neighbor, to correct when there's no love there. Today I'm, I'm going to say justice is a repair of the second commandment. It repairs what's broken Righteousness, a standard of equity and fairness, right relationship. This is beautiful. In this justice, it says, let it roll down. Let it roll down. Let it change. He's not saying go worship better, go retreat somewhere, get your heart right together. But he just says, but let justice roll down. And this is fascinating because what I'm put it like this. Do we know how a river is formed? I just learned about it. It's pretty fascinating. How a river is formed. A river, actually, 
We have a mighty river right here. This is, you see this, if we, we look at that river, we take a zoom out, we see channels, streams coming into a river. A river is made up of more than one thing. Now, if we take a zoom out, come back, this is sort of a diagram and a forming. I know it might look like a tree, but it's a river, okay? <laughs> the arms that are coming out, those are streams. Well, first, a river starts high up in the mountains. The water comes down, and then it finds itself in streams. And then the streams come and make one river. And it's coming down, so it's gravity, so there's, it's, it's really hard to stop. That's where we get the saying, you can't go up the current. You can't go up the current because that gravity is coming down. And this, what I see, how a river is made, coming back to community, is that there is more than one. We are all individuals when we come together for justice. We are an unstoppable force because our God is with us. The river to me is a reflection of community, a just community. We see the unjust community, but we, the only type of response that can stop an unjust community is a just community. And you always have the advantage in justice together in unity. When we put our voices together, when we get over our differences, that's the one thing about justice that's different from the world's justice is it calls for unity, and that unity is reconciliation, repairing what was wrong, repairing what was broke to counter injustices, to counter racism, to counter a, a, a corrupt housing that we still live in people being moved out of their places unfairly. Voter suppression that's still happening. But what the enemy has done says, I can isolate them. I can get them to bicker. I can get them to, to disagree. I can get them to see themselves as an individual. And we never see our power that we have. And then therefore we end up feeling helpless. But remember, we are one of another. That's what the Bible calls us. Many members of the same body. What would happen if Christians and believers got this? What would happen if we seen our unity and seen our diversity as a tool, as a power to embrace the Imago Dei in all of us from different spaces? Not to put it to the side, <laughs> Not to say, oh, I'm a Christian first and put it. No, God made us in his image. And this reflection, we don't, we don't change in the eschaton and revelations. The revelations actually has what? Different tribes, different nations, different tongues. This is still the body. And that's what justice does. It gives a glimpse of shalom in the end. What could happen if we come together? work together, get through our brokenness together. Because that is what God cares about. God cares about his people. And I used to feel so, um, just like God didn't 
have mercy. I didn't understand. I didn't understand his love in his heart. I didn't understand his justice as much. I just thought I had to just observe this moral code. And sometimes my heart could not be right, but if I observe the code, I, I can still feel better about myself. Maybe I may have read my Bible, but I didn't repent, you know. But I read my Bible, though. I prayed. I talked to God. But I didn't get my art right with my brother. And so that is what Amos is telling us today. Do not focus on the routine. Focus on God. And when you focus on God, God's heart is the people. And our response It doesn't negotiate. That's what I love about this. There's no negotiation. It's just like, but let justice roll down. There's no five-step plan. No 10-step plan to get this right. What's what's the strategy? It's, but let justice come. What, What last week it said, but do justice. It means, and he said, I told you. It means it's in us. It's natural. You're actually going against your senses doing injustice. You're going against how God created you. It doesn't even feel right to lie. It doesn't even feel right to fight. Our fingers are not even made to punch each other. It just, it, it's, it's abnormal, but it's become the norm. And so we have this opportunity to let justice roll down like rivers. Can we see that in Astoria? Can we see that in New York City? Can we see that in our job? All it takes is a couple of streams couple of individuals uniting. And so we talked about that we didn't want to be a church that just thought about justice, just talked about justice, but we actually want to be about justice. And as the Hope Justice team, we've been praying for opportunities. What can we do to help people get connected to their community even more? Because we know you guys care. We know you guys are interceding for the community That's one thing I've been so blessed by in this community is that you guys have a true heart for people and you love people and it it always shows. And so we wanted to create a space for you to do justice. And based on Isaiah 117 that says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. Seek, don't wait for it. Be proactive, pursue it. And so we wanted to be proactive and we started what's called the Seek Just Action Initiative. And in this initiative, we've partnered with five other organizations in our community and asked them, what's the needs? Who are you serving? How can we help? How can we be a part of that? And I see justice as four applications. One, speaking truth to power. Two, advocacy. Three, empowering. Four, serving. A lot of times, if you see Justice Ministries, it's just the philanthropy. Or you see uh, protest. But a lot of times, there's not a holistic view of justice. We can shout, we can protest that has a space, profit has a space, but we also need to be in the pantries. We need to be with the homeless. We need to be in the shelters helping. We need to not just be doing that, but we need to be empowering and showing people, teaching them their rights, advocating for others. And so within this initiative, those four applications exist. And 
registration is open today, and it goes for a month. And there's a table downstairs. You can look at the opportunities, pray about it, see if it fits you. Um, and, yeah, just, just get involved with us or pray with us, either or. Um, that's going to be going on for a month. If you have any questions, you can email me or pull me to the side or one of the justice team members at the table. We just really want to be about justice. We just really want to be, it's, it's, we don't, and we don't want to respond in ourselves. Part of this is building relation, authentic relationships within our communities. We're not saying, hey, we're coming to save. Hey, we're coming to make everything right. No, no, no. We're saying that we are here to be a part. We are here to listen. And then when that happens, it's an on-ramp for us to come together even at greater levels for justice. Because people see, hey, Hope Astoria really cares about people. They just didn't come to our meeting and pray. They actually sent somebody that comes once a month or once a week. Like, they, they really out here. <laughs> and so that's the type of church that we strive to be and connect with many churches like that. So that is an opportunity, an action plan in this sermon series that we're hoping people can embrace. As the worship team can come forward. I thank God for his grace and his mercy, truly. You know, the greatest river of justice was Jesus dying on the cross for us. Where his blood flowed for us. Yes, it was mercy, but it was also justice because we were in a place that we could not get out. And he, sitting in heaven as the sovereign God, said, I love them so much. I'm going to take on human form. Eat what they eat, sleep how they sleep, endure their temptations, and take on the worst punishment known to mankind and Jesus walked into our jail and had the keys and took us out of prison this is justice rolling down like a mighty water and his justice cleanses us and the great thing is his justice involves us in the greater story let us pray. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace today that you hear us, God. I pray that we see you clearly. I pray that you heal us from all injustices and that you show us as we go that you are with us, that we stand strong-footed, broad shoulders, chin up. I'm praying for strength and grace for everyone here that we don't follow the numbers, we don't follow the majority of the consensus, but we are led by conviction 
conviction. And we thank you so very much, oh God. Bless your people today. Let them see you as the defender of the people. In Jesus' name we pray.